0: Welcome to VCR, a Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason, and I'm finally back. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, and we've yeah. got uh, a musical or mystery on the mystery side of things. I'm really excited to talk about this one, actually.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is a movie that uh, you can only like truly watch once, but once is more than enough, and you- you're still going to want to go back.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. I actually going to debate you on whether or not this has any rewatchability or not. What I will say is, and I guess we should say what movie it is, uh, we're doing the 1982 film Death Trap with Michael Caine. Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. And I think that this is potentially one of the most underrated films that we've ever done on this podcast. I think that a 7.0 rating on IMDb does not do this film justice.
1: Yeah, because there's not that many reviews on it anyways. Like yeah. th- so if more people knew about it or watched it then it would be much better. Yeah, it would have a much better score, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that the other thing when we get to legacy of this film is there's some complicated cultural things that were going on at that time. That would have hurt this movie's reputation, and and that may be why this film has maybe faded somewhat into obscurity. However, I think this is a little diamond to the rough that we found here today. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy that we found it. I was, I was shocked that it was yes. this good. <laughs> so was I. So was I. Um, but without further ado, it's game time decision here. Do we want to talk plot? Or do we want to talk who this movie is for and does it hold up in the current uh, climate? I
1: think we can talk the pl- the like a quick plot first
0: because okay. I've got it so that it's not too crazy. But okay, sounds good. So the only thing that I'll say to preface that with then is if you really really like mysteries and you like a very twisty, turny, kind of all of the puzzle pieces are there, if you can can figure them out and put them together kind of thing, then you're going to really enjoy this one. And maybe stop listening right now. Like, maybe just go in with just that.
1: This is a movie to go in blind, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, I very much agree. And stick with it, because the first... 20-30 20-30 minutes are not necessarily representative of the next hour and a half yeah yeah it had a large
1: tonal shift yes and like quality shift almost
0: as well yes and very yeah, much agree we'll, we'll get into so
1: that.
0: yeah that's that's all we're gonna say for now about that let's talk plot and then kind of yeah. weave our way through this uh discussion
1: all right so Death Trap 1982, it's all about a struggling playwright who, after his own show Bombed, receives a shockingly good manuscript from a student of his. He invites him out to his very secluded home with potentially ill intentions. He is struggling, after all, and no one knows that this student has written anything at all. That student is Christopher Reeve, and um, the playwright, Sidney, is Michael Caine, and... Wow. Like it was a it was a great experience, really.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to say any more than the plot than that, because I think I think you said just enough. Usually I like to break down other pieces of the plot that I think they're relevant, but again, we're gonna stay light on this one and, and keep the spoilers as free as possible because I don't think a lot of reviewers I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie, and that's a real shame. So let's talk characters and people you may know. So our main character is Sidney Brühl, the famous screenwriter. His most recent play at the beginning of this film, Bombs, pretty magnificently. And so he returns home pretty pretty upset about this to his happy-go-lucky wife, Myra Brühl. Very supportive of Sidney as well. She's she's played very over-the-top almost, like very in love with Sydney. And Sidney Brühl is played by Sir Michael Caine, like you said. And I'm going to be honest, I think this is one of my favorite performances of his of all time. Yeah, I was really excited to go
1: back and watch one of his like more OG movies because I hadn't seen him really in an, anything that wasn't quite modern, except like there's a few things where I've seen him, but like that was before I really got into film.
0: Yeah. And Michael kane has got a really interesting career and in that he might be one of the most bankable late stage actors ever yeah. like for modern audiences like michael Caine's a household name like yeah. and especially at his age that's really impressive and especially with the more, more recent films that he's done like most notably like working with christopher nolan he's in almost every single chris nolan movie including his role as
1: alfred in the batman Or the Batman series trilogy.
0: Yeah, in the Dark Knight series. He's in The Prestige. He's in Interstellar. He's in a different movie other than Chris Nolan, uh, Children of Men, which I recently rewatched again. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, very, very household name. Everybody would know who Michael Caine is. And this is a really interesting performance from him. I honestly can't say more about that because some of... The the portrayal that I want to discuss is really too much into the spoiler territory. So you're going to have to take our uh, word for it. Yeah. So his wife, Myra Brule is played by Dylan Cannon, who isn't really a household name and also not someone that modern audiences would know. But I also enjoyed her performance, even though it's like almost insanely over the top. Yeah, yeah. Like, while I
1: was watching this, Annabelle actually decided to not watch the rest of the movie because of her performance. Like, she cut off after the first 15 minutes because of, I think her name is Diane. Diane Cannon. No, it's Dylan Cannon. It says D-Y-A-N. That's how she spells her name.
0: Oh, God, I just can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, it's Diane Cannon. I'm just, uh apparently bad at reading
1: yeah that's that's normal for this podcast and you yeah. <laughs> but anyways yeah so she was over the top and again that's that kind of adds into the um that slow start that doesn't get you hooked right away but if you push through that her acting does get much better it's just in the in the first bit it feels so much like a over-the-top play
0: and that's kind of where this film is coming from, like you already mentioned, that's based on a play. So I can understand where maybe an actor who's not as experienced in navigating the differences between a play and a film might struggle with kind of, you know, maybe some of the more subtle acting changes that you can make when you're being filmed and and the audience can see your face close up or, yeah, yeah. Or, or kind of interpret things a little differently right yeah that's what i kind of felt so one of the last characters that i want to talk about is clifford anderson and so this is sydney's old student who writes a really phenomenal play that he sends only to sydney and just happens to be when sydney's at his lowest of his low point and sydney comes up with this plot to essentially kill him or, or thinks about killing him One thing that we didn't touch on, actually, and this is kind of actually really important to the whole story, is the types of plays that Sidney writes are all kind of murder mystery kind of plays, like whodunit kind of plays. And so he actually, in his house, has a large collection of weapons and torture devices and stuff like that that they've used partially on set of their plays, but they're also just artifacts that he's collected over the years as well
1: yeah people give them to him he checks out uh vintage shops to find them and yeah he's like it's all like medieval swords and cutlasses and uh, daggers
0: maces whatnot and uh so he's played by christopher reeve who modern audiences aren't going to know christopher reeve necessarily but he actually played the original superman this is a really really great performance by him Throughout the movie, I was thinking he reminded me of an actor or performance, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, and I figured it out, but I can't tell you who that is in the spoiler-free section because it'll ruin some of the plot of the movie, I think.
1: So interestingly, this was after Superman 2 for him and before Superman 3, and he was already, like, he didn't want to get typecast as uh, a superhero in like for the rest of his career so he went for this um as a means to show that he's a well-studied and highly talented actor in any capacity
0: yeah and i honestly genuinely really love this performance
1: yeah yeah and um Like, I recognized him instantly as Superman. I don't know if you did. Um, but I knew who Christopher Reeve was, yeah. Yeah, of course. But uh, I always thought it was Reeves with an S, but that's probably because of Keanu.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I know what you mean. I thought the same thing. And the reason why modern audiences don't necessarily know who Christopher Reeve is is because, unfortunately, he had a really horrible accident in the 90s. Uh, He broke his neck and, and became paraplegic. Or completely paralyzed. Sorry, and uh, unfortunately passed away at fifty-two in two thousand and four due to all of the health issues that he had, kind of resulting from this really, really tragic accident falling off of a horse. And he was so well loved and like such a household name, uh, like mm-hmm. throughout his career. Yeah, we can't understate enough like how how relevant and how important the Superman franchise was at that time. Like, it's it's really interesting because pre Marvel and pre the dark Knight trilogy comic book movies and superhero movies were in a very strange place and that was because the 90s and early 2000s there was some really bad bombs like the one batman forever film and and stuff like that um the punisher there's a few others that just were not well received by any means so like he was from like the golden era yeah and so he came from an era of like when when superhero movies were really well received and and it's so interesting that it kind of we kind of forgot about that for a period of time that there were good superhero movies from earlier. And we haven't talked about any yet. We haven't actually done a superhero movie oh, on this podcast yet. Wow, yeah. So Superman would be a really interesting one to do again cuz again, I I actually really want to circle back to Christopher Reeve later now because of this film. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So beyond that, the last character that I want to talk about is Helga Tendorp. Uh, She's a quirky psychic and a minor celebrity um, in the the sense that her psychic abilities have helped her to solve crimes in the past. And she just happens to be staying with the neighbors of Sydney and Myra at this time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because she, in a way, she kind of mirrors the quirky detective in like the Knives Out franchise. Like, uh, yeah. What uh, what's his name again?
1: Benoit something in, Benoit LeBlanc.
0: Yeah, like, so she almost mirrors kind of Daniel Craig in a sense. Yeah. However, what's really interesting about this film is it kind of complements a film like the Knives, Knives Out and even Glass Onion, in which case we're seeing the whole film through the eyes of a potential killer rather than from the detective trying to solve the mystery. And I think that, Mm -hmm. I think that makes it a really interesting compliment to watching those. Like you could almost watch them together, like watch maybe knives out and then watch this one to kind of, kind of balance the scales a little bit
1: yeah i would highly suggest if you've loved knives out to watch this because it kind of has the like essential elements that were created in older mysteries that knives out brought back and did very well but and what i loved about helga's character is that she was such a um like a foil or like a balancer where like she was like the only person coming from the outside in that other than like us the audience really that mattered she just messes everything up slightly and it's so frustrating yeah. cuz she's such a ridiculous character but like it it changes everything right
0: right it adds an an interesting new element yes yeah an unexpected element to this tale
1: yeah to us because everything is so meticulous sort of in these like these people are planning things as if they are a mystery, and she just adds in this all like this chaotic nature, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the last person that I'm gonna talk about related to the film is the director, Sidney Lumet. Director that we've talked about before. I picked him for the movie draft and discussed some of his films and those being Network, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Hill, which I loved all three. And he was, he's most notable for adapting the theatrical play 12 Angry Men, which is considered one of the greatest films of all time now. And as soon as I knew that Sidney Lumet was the director behind this, I kind of thought to myself, I wonder if they picked him because of 12 Angry Men and his adaptation of that. Mm. And uh, looking up the research, that's exactly why they picked him is, is because of his adaptation of plays. And again, I would say that He adapts this pretty masterfully, honestly. I have a couple of minor notes that I didn't love about the film. like There's very small things, but I don't think those were necessarily directorial issues that I had with it, um, interestingly enough. But I thought the way he adapted this did a really great job of building tension. Yes. In a way that even seeing this in a play, seeing this in a live theatrical play, would not quite have, would not quite have drawn that emotion out of me. That that edge of my seat, kind of wanting to find out what happens next. And there's mm-hmm. certain ways that he utilizes the camera in this that I think really kind of make that pop to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I felt like th- there were certain shots that were like long and um, like
0: and continuous. And
1: continuous. That that's what I really noticed from the start. That mm-hmm. it made it so much
0: more intense because it was it, like it felt real yes and the other thing that i noticed with that as well is as the tension starts to build the shot gets a little bit shorter and then a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter and then right as like the tension's about to boil over things are moving at a really quick pace mm-hmm. with the camera and it it's really almost like it feels like paranoia through a lens of a camera i don't know it was it was really well done i really appreciated that yeah So who this movie is for, does this movie hold up in 2023? What do you think? Does this movie hold up in 2023?
1: The intro doesn't, but the whole movie, 100% it holds up. This was...
0: Yeah, and I kind of wonder, on on your note of that, like, uh, I want to dig into that. I kind of wonder, because I also agree with you that this movie didn't immediately grab my attention, whereas, like we talked about with another theatrical adaptation... Just recently, when we did Cabaret, when Mike and I did that, Mm -hmm. is Cabaret instantly drew me in. And then over time, I actually became less interested in the film. Whereas this one, I almost think that it is trying to lull you into a false sense of security in that first 20 or 30 minutes. And it almost does it to its disservice at a point.
1: Yeah, it was a disservice to Annabelle, who needed that quicker hook. But for me, I I knew I was going into an older movie and that like I approach it the same way I would any older movie where you give it um, a little bit more time and it'll draw you in like eventually. But it it was so quick when it did draw me in after that first like
0: lull where it was setting up some of the characters, but not too much. And I think well, I think on a rewatch, there are things that you're going to pick up and mannerisms and double speak and just just things going on that on the first watch aren't don't feel as important as they really are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree that I think this movie holds up for the most part. What's really cool about this is I think that because of the current relevance of Knives Out and Glass Onion, I think this movie is really primed for like a modern renaissance i think that I if agree. more people watch this now i i really think that that people would really grab on to this one and re- the reason why is because the film's got some really great callbacks throughout it like these constant callbacks and being like, okay, like this mattered, this mattered, this mm-hmm. mattered. Yeah. And and it's a really rewarding film in that sense to watch because the more you pay attention, the more you'll get out of it. And even after I was done watching the film, I kept making connections in my mind to like things that had happened and and basically like why certain people did certain things or mm-hmm. why certain props became important and this and that kind of thing. And so I, I really think that because of all that and because it's a it's really at times funny film to watch like there's some really great dialogue here after the first 20 minutes and and some really great back and forth discussions and the film almost becomes meta at a point yes and and all of this is just so relevant to the current culture
1: yeah i i very much agree the they didn't exactly break the fourth wall but they broke something close to it yes yeah it was it was very masterfully done I think anybody today who actually made it through that first little bit would love this movie, and yeah, again, anyone into the uh, Knives Out series or um, mysteries overall, reading mystery books, whatever, would definitely like this. And it's a oh a, a recent callback to um, Dial M for Murder, which is actually referenced in the this movie, so nice. it's it's uh, Hitchcockian if you will.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And and again, like this film because it's a play that comes out in 1978, like it is kind of referencing that bygone era of the mystery and mm-hmm. and it's it's cool that it's finally coming back around in 2023 and and 20, 2019 is I think really when Knives Out came out and, yeah. and it's kind of restarted all of this again. But I, these are the kind of movies that I really enjoy that are uh, that I find are really rewarding for to watch and pay attention to and and you can get a lot out of this and it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, like, you were constantly trying to figure it out and watching mm-hmm. for things once you got that hook and that was, like, that was such a strong hook. I don't think I've experienced a hook that big in a long right. time.
0: I very much agree and I can't wait to discuss... The specific moment in time where you like jumped up in your seat and and it completely hooked you because I think there's a couple different spots potentially but there's one moment in particular that like my jaw just about hit the floor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when to watch? I like this one as a great as a Friday evening kind of watch. Like and like I said, I think this pairs really well with watching the first Knives Out movie and Mm -hmm. then watching this as the second film. Kind of a late night kind of watch
1: yeah yeah i would agree with that yeah friday night saturday doesn't really matter like it's like a weekend movie um because mm-hmm. it, it wakes you up <laughs> so you can't yeah. watch it during the week because you're like so pumped halfway through the where you're like
0: ah <laughs> i will say that i tried to go to bed not long after this and i kept thinking about it and had a little bit of a tough time getting asleep.
1: sleep yeah i stayed up a little later than i meant to after this <laughs> yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Where to watch right now? Unfortunately, because this is such a a small niche film that's kind of fallen out of the limelight, you can only rent it. But I would recommend the rental here, paying the four dollars for the rental, because I think it's I think it's worth your time. From where? You can rent it from just about anywhere. You can rent it from YouTube, Cineplex. Is this on Criterion or no? Uh I don't think so currently. Uh, okay, it should be. It should be. I like I said I. I, I really think that this is primed for a big Renaissance movement right now and and i'm I'm hoping that we can push that forward yeah yeah I agree And with that said, I think that's everything to talk about spoiler free. this is gonna be a pretty quick primer episode just because you know we're we're trying our best not to spoil a movie that the twists and turns of the plot are extraordinarily important to your enjoyment. So yeah.
1: yeah. Know what I did love. If you like Michael Kane you should definitely go back and watch this too. He looked fairly young and he had that like
0: wavy hair. Yeah. And, and you know what the other thing I'll say about it is, is, and, and this is a kind of a credit to that first 20, 30 minutes of building up mm. is I think that it's also important because of who we know Michael Kane to be, I think it's important to spend a little bit of time to convince us, the audience, that mild-mannered British Michael Caine is potentially capable of murder.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with such ferocity, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's it for this week's episode. And I really hope that you're interested in this film. and You go check it out and catch us next week as we dive deep into the spoilers.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. There's a lot to discuss.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, well, see you next week.
1: All right, thanks.